This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found modern mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I am your host, Shane Told, and this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to do this as our jobs. And today we have a very special episode. I talked to Scott Anderson of Finger Eleven, and I know last week we had Thomas from Strike Anywhere. You know, we tend to be more of a you know, we talk to punk rock bands and hardcore bands and stuff, and Finger Eleven is most definitely not uh, a punk rock band by any means. However, what's interesting about them is they're actually from the exact same hometown as Silverstein is from, which is Burlington, Ontario, Canada. And Finger Eleven is definitely the biggest thing to ever come out of our our small suburban city, um, you know, and, and finger 11, you know, it, it's funny before they, they hit it big with, with the song one thing. And, and later the, uh, the funk dance song, um, paralyzer, they actually had quite a bit of success in Canada, you know, more on, on a little bit of a smaller scale. Uh, and they never hit it big in the U S until later on. So it was really, really, really cool to sit down with him and, and talk to him. Um, just really get his perspective on what it was like coming up in, in, you know, the, uh, the Toronto area. And, and of course, uh, uh, the story of, of these songs, which is actually very, very interesting. And we got a bonus. I speak to Tyson Motzenbacher, who you probably don't know because he is a brand new artist on tooth and nail and his music is really, really great. And I, I got, got my hands on an advanced copy of his record that Tooth and Nail sent to me. And I was like, I really want to talk to this guy because I think the music he's making is important. And I think his story is really compelling and really interesting. So uh, it's a very long show today. Uh, I hope you guys can, can stick around for the whole thing. I, I was uh, just in Los Angeles yesterday and uh, talking to people who Say, uh, you know, oh, I'm stuck in L.A. traffic, so it's perfect. Make the podcast longer. So uh, here you go. This is a very long podcast. I hope you can get through it all. So I won't take up too much time with, with 
all the advertising and everything. But I will just say, if you want to get in touch, please hit me up, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Also get on the Twitter, at leadsingersyn, S-Y-N. And if you want to support the show, it's very simple. You just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. If you buy anything on there, 4% of it goes to the show, and that will really help us out with some of our costs. Anyways, hey, I don't want to take up much more time. Uh, we got a long one, but it's a good one. I'll talk to you guys after, uh, after the end of it. Here's my conversation with Scott Anderson of Finger Eleven. Okay. <laughs> this could be this could be the start of it right here. I know we've talked for a minute, but what the hell? Let's jump this in. This is the oh, extent man. of my uh, like I I use Pro Tools to record demos. You know, like I press sure. record and speak into a microphone. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I kind of. It's almost a point of pride as far as my ignorance goes. Like I just want to pretend it's a tape. That's an old tape machine. You know, I know, man. I know. Keep it honest, kind of thing. So anyway. What I tend to do is I'll work during the day and then late at night I'll I'll go upstairs and and check out what I've done and see if I still like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that last night and I open up the Pro Tools file and there's tracks there as if I've created a bunch of blank tracks but no no waveforms no nothing. Oh, yeah. And so that goes with ideas i've recorded you know over the years and stuff i've recorded stuff i recorded the the previous day so damn i gotta find a new solution you just caught me i uh you know what i wonder uh, i've had that happen to me before when i was using like an external hard drive okay and i didn't realize like the files were being recorded onto external hard drive and then when i plugged it back in everything showed up so i don't know if you use a hard drive like that but it, it could be something like that i do i've been using the same thing for years and so um it's the the laptop that I'm using has no longer you know like if you left click on a on a on a on a Mac you know like on the yeah like you'll just do that click, physical yeah. click you know, yeah. it was only like a one click thing uh. I have to use basically half my body weight to push the click in like physically <laughs> fucked so in order to I can't click and drag anything uh, uh, without crazy inconvenience so I think I'm just going to switch to like. Some like really, really simple well, PC recording or it's something. It's funny you mention that because nowadays, you know, and I've, I've, sure, I've went through all the like phases of buying like Pro Tools and, and I mean, now with the podcasting, I have a little bit of gear, like I have some Apogee stuff and whatever. Um, but when I'm, when I'm working on a song, I just want to go into my iPhone and I just click the voice recorder app and that's all I use now. Really? And it's just like, yeah, just like, because, you know, because for me, it's like, I, I'm not trying to produce records in my apartment, you know? I'm yeah. just I'm just trying to come up with, put the ideas down. So for me, it's like, yeah, I'll just go into my iPhone, boom, voice, and then I just record it. But I love what you said about that you listen to it later to see if you still like it. Because that is such a real thing that has happened to me so many times when you write some, like, usually for me, it's like a guitar riff. And mm. I'll be like, this is so sick. And then I'll, you know, I'll record it and whatever, and then I'll go back and listen to it like the next day or whatever, and I'll be like, eh, it's okay. Wasn't that <laughs> yeah. cool? Happens all the time. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it has to, right? I mean, I know you can – the newest idea, you know, it, it's, it's always fun because it's fresh. But, you know, after 
you can you can really tell. Like it, maybe when you're trying to create something, if it's a riff or you know, like fucking words are the are the hardest. But uh, you know, if you're working, it's like I, I get impatient with myself. It's like okay, I just need to figure out the structure of this. I know there's something there. I, I'm trying to dig it out. So I'll get stuck on the second verse of something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and and then I'll be like, I know this isn't great, but I have to just sort of push. I have to carve it out like a like a demo. And then you go back, you know, you 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 sit, you have dinner, and then you um you come back and listen to it, and you're like, all right, you sort of got to squint and figure out what's good about it and what's not. Right. Well, what happens with me too? Um, I love that we're just talking about songwriting right off the bat. We haven't even said hi yet, but uh, <laughs> this is cool. But no, for real, like it, it is amazing that you say that. And I'll I'll like sit there, and I'm very slow when I write, especially the lyrics. Like you said, Dude. lyrics are the worst. Like I'll sit there and I'll write a line, and I'll think for five minutes, is that good? You know, and then okay, and I'll work on the second line. And like honestly, if I work like a whole evening on a song and I get like one verse done. That if it's really good, I'm really happy with it. Then that's like good enough for me. Well, I think I, I feel the same way because that is like the it's like the bedrock of a song, right? Like if there's an idea there, you can always expand on it. Yeah. But it, so it's, it's it's easier to go. Okay, there's something I can anchor like a melody to, or like work around this actual idea. Oh, like aha, this song is about something fucking awesome. You know. <laughs> so I think those are that's an important. Uh, corner to turn when you're working on 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 something right you know like that'll that sometimes that sneaks up on me like i'll just you know punch through the fucking blank page i'll just you know start writing or like even a guy writing uh like phonetics sometimes you know like uh, if i'm if i work on the melody first but i'll spend so much more time you know getting the getting the words right and i think it's frustrating but i i suppose like singers know that you know, the worst It's like, I got to sing this. It's got to mean something to me. It's got to, and it's, yeah, it's got to sound cool, but I spend way less time on, I spend way less time on the melody and more, much more time on the lyrics. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I'm, I'm maybe the opposite. I'm, I'm a kind of a melody, like melody nerd, I guess. And I like work out, I'll work out all, all my melodies, like on the guitar, you know, and I'll know all yeah. of the notes I'm singing. And like some people don't, you know, don't really do that, but I always do that. And I'm always very aware of what the melody is and what the mm-hmm. notes in the chord and all that stuff is. Um, but, but no, like, it's interesting you say a couple things about like, oh, this actually means something because, you know, especially with, uh, you know, some of the shit that's you hear on the radio and stuff like it's, some of the lyrics are so vague (laughs) and it's like, is this actually about anything or is this just like a couple cool phrases strung together? And I'll admit I'm guilty of at times being like, well, this isn't really what I want to say, but it does rhyme. Do you ever have that problem? Yeah, there's, there, you know, you gotta, you have to fit those things in, right? And then there's, there, there's, I think there's probably parts, you know, if you write a song, there's probably parts you're more proud of than, than other parts. And you always try to make the second and third verse as good as, you know, your, your original or the chorus, you know, maybe the chorus is awesome and you gotta, you know, ramp up those verses as much as you can and connect them and also make them, right. you know, f- flow together. It's, it's, oh, there's so many bullshit parts of songwriting, <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's, um, you mentioned having, you know, like, look, there's a, you know, our, we wrote a song, you know, one thing that was like a, oh, that, that was song, a pretty big hit. I think everyone was, heard that one. <laughs> it was, it was a big song and like kind of generic. Like I wrote a, about a very specific situation, but I mean, you know, how, how, I mean, what's more vague than one thing? I mean, Jesus Christ, it's it's very open. Right. But what it 
what ended up happening was everybody came up to me with all these amazing stories about what that song meant to them. Whether it was like uh, some, some lady had like this heartbreaking story about her, uh, about her kid. And then there was some person that like, they had like this horse, like, not like they were coming up to me saying, yeah, is that song about a horse? They were just, they were more right. like, Oh, this, this meant so much to me. So I, it, that, <laughs> I don't want to use the term generic, but that quality of like that openness, like I don't know what that song is about. Like I'm saying, I don't know what my some of my favorite songs are about, but oh, they they resonate with me in some way. Oh yeah. So I was very specifically writing about you know a situation, but it did it was open enough that it it kind of resonated with everybody else, and that was I, I, I kind of I really liked that. I think you make. I think that's a good point. I, th- I think that's a real, a real thing. And one thing that's happened, you know, in my band all the time is, you know, we're not a Christian band like at all. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a ch- churchgoer whatsoever. But the amount of people that have come up to me and have thought that I was writing about Jesus or God or whatever, and I'm like, huh. And then I'll go back and read the words, and I'll be like, I can totally understand that interpretation. But hey, I mean, that's that's something. You know, music is is open to interpretation, and that's one of the things that that makes it what it is, you know, yeah. and why it can be so relatable to people in, in different countries and different languages and, and all that stuff. So, well, yeah, you're, it, it's, it's kind of funny. It's, it's relatable. Music is really hard to, I mean, cause we attach our entire lives to it. And especially, you know, like those like formative years, I don't think music gets better when you're discovering it at like whatever 13 14 15 like it's just so important right but it's also it's so much harder to criticize although that's kind of our job you know to kind of (laughs) find out what's i mean i judge it it's like thumbs up or thumbs down for me it's like okay we're gonna work on this idea do i think it's cool yeah i do so that therefore that's just what else what other barometer like who knows more about what i like than me okay good let's let's that's right. Let's let's keep <laughs> let's keep doing that. That's why you can't. I mean, you know, it's it's like that. What is it from Big Lebowski? It's like, yeah, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and you really can't shit talk anybody for what they like, you know. And and I, you know, especially when you get older, and and I'm, you know, I'm I just turned thirty five last week. Nice. Um, well, you're in your forties now. <laughs> I am. I turned forty. Well, yeah, dude, I'll be forty one next month. Oh, nice. I Good. I don't know what the fuck happened, but yeah, that's nice, what's going on. Nice. No, um, but, but no, like, you know, you get to be, you know, in our age and we've both been playing music like our entire adult lives and, and longer. Uh, and, you know, you really start to see, you see a kid walking down the street or whatever. And like, I'll start judging. I'll be like, ah, oh, he's, you know, wearing some band shirt that I think sucks. And, you know, it's like, why am I judging this kid? Like I was that kid. Yeah. And now I'm, it's coming full circle and I've become, you know, like my parents and I'm like, God, I thought this would never happen, but it's just something you can't avoid. And, and it's like a little bit inevitable that you, in some ways you become jaded. Well, I could probably argue what makes a good movie or what makes a good game or what makes, uh, you know, the, but it's harder when it comes to music because you're, 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 it's, it's so much a part of you, right? Like you yeah. give more to, like the best thing you can do in a movie is go, oh, okay, I kind of relate to this, and this is a cool story. But as far as music goes, there's that intangible, like it's so intertwined in your life. It's, it, I, I could never convince somebody that a band that they loved was shitty. Like you can't do it. 
I, you could you could prove it in a million different scientific ways, right. but yeah, you like, could be no, like, oh, that is... guy can't sing; he doesn't sing in tune, or or you know that drummer is like offbeat. You can yeah, say yeah, these but... things, but it doesn't matter because that's not what music. Yeah, know, but I is. like it. <laughs> but I like, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. That's amazing. It's <laughs> funny. I was at a I was at a party two weeks ago, and I saw a guy with a Silverstein shirt on. I was like, that's fucking awesome. I was like, well, I didn't run into anybody with any Finger Eleven shirts on there. Was it like but, a guy, a guy your age? No, so, um, no, a little, no, of course, a little bit younger. But uh, it was, yeah. I, I never thought you guys is like a Christian band. I always thought you guys were like a cool band. <laughs> you can't be Christian and cool. I think. I, <laughs> no, well, I we, think we are. Can, no, we're not. But, we're not a Christian band. Uh, no, we're not. Uh, but I'm glad you think we're cool. Um, <laughs> you know what I thought was cool when I was about. Uh, 14 or 15 was the rainbow butt monkeys <laughs> yeah did and you really i did man and um i want to jump back and i want to talk about how we all got started and and it's really cool because a lot of people listening to this they might not know but finger 11 and silverstein were from the exact same hometown mm. and we're not it's not like we're from toronto which is the biggest city in you know a country and it's like five million people or whatever we're from the same suburban town of about a hundred thousand uh burlington ontario so um, I remember, you know, your Finger Eleven. A lot of people know this. Used to be called the Rainbow Butt Monkeys, and you guys struck struck it pretty big. Like when you were what, like fifteen, sixteen? Yeah, we were still in uh, we were still in high school. We were finishing up. Uh, oh, okay. This was well, I don't know, maybe ninety one, maybe ninety. Yeah. We won uh, the ninety seven seven music contest. Yeah, we that was our first. That was part of our first uh, record deal. It's kind of what got us out of the basement, really. Sure. Yeah. And it's uh, it was you and your brother, uh, and a couple other, uh, well, three other guys, and it's still pretty much the same band, other than <laughs> one member, which is kind of crazy because a lot of people ask ask um, Silverstein. We have only had one member change in our you know sixteen year career, and you guys are like, what? I mean, more like twenty five years in or something. And yeah. um, you guys have only had about one member change too. I know you've had a couple drummers now. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I just think it's funny. We're from the same city and we have the same, like, are we just like really get along agreeable dudes? Like what's going on in Burlington? <laughs> yeah. Like, what is, are you, are you speaking about like how impossible it is to kind of be friends and create music and have like a, a quote unquote business relationship together? Like, and how kind of difficult that is? Yeah. And you've yeah. done that for 25 years through the, the ups and downs and the, the, band name changes and everything and it's like what what strikes me is you know we formed this band you know Silverstein we formed it when I was like 19 or 20 uh and you were young much younger than that um and I mean not much younger but like when you're a kid like one year is a big difference you know yeah, exactly the difference yes. between being 18 and being 16 or or even 17 it's a huge difference so you guys really grew up together but you've yep. remained friends and you've remained, you know, business partners and all that stuff. And like, I mean, it must have been just so crazy to, to watch your friends change, but you guys all kind of change together. Yeah. The, you know, real life keeps happening to us, but it's the same. You know, you, I, I met James. How old are you when you were in grade seven? Like 12 or 13? I think so. Yeah. Somewhere around there. So like he was the dude that you know, would bring a guitar to school and he could play Sweet Child of Mine. And that just blew my fucking mind. I was like, this guy, <laughs> got to be friends with him. So then we convinced the music teacher to, you know, every lunch hour I would play on the drums and he would, you know, play guitar. We, and we would just not listen to each other and throw chairs around like it was a 
<laughs> I don't know why the teacher let us do that, but we did. Um, yeah, so we would trash it at the, the music room as if it were a gig. That was really stupid. <laughs> but uh, ever, you know, it's we got, you know, we we what did we cover? We we covered a couple songs for like this talent show, and it's it's so strange because that that I guess I'm getting at like that first time you perform. It, it's just the same, you know, it is like the next time I hop on a stage, uh, it'll just be that same sort of adrenaline rush and that there's so many things that change, but that like aspect of performing and you know, with your friends is, uh, is so magical and kind of remains magical. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. It's a bit of a constant. I think that's kind of the reason we're, you know, still doing it. Sure. So talk to me a little bit about what it was like the scene in Burlington, because you're a few years older than me, but I'm sure like we, I mean, we must have attended a lot of the same shows and we must have had a lot of the same friends, but like, I don't think we've ever met. No, I don't. Um, I was trying to figure that out myself. Yeah, but it's just crazy. Like, I mean, I, you know, the bands I remember from, you know, that were a little bit older than me uh, in Burlington. I mean, other than, of course, you guys were like, you know, Trunk and Gym Class mm-hmm. Joke and Slurpee Monday and, of course, Grade, you know. Um, did, you guys, did you guys play with those bands back when you were starting out? We played with uh, Slurpee Monday for sure, and then of course uh, Trunk. And this was there were venues that you could play. There were places that kids could have. You know, we had these afternoon concerts, and oh, the yeah. lineup yeah. lineup was like six or seven bands deep. And it was it, it doesn't it's not really it doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately, like that was a scene we were definitely a part of. And I, I, I do I do miss that. We would we would basically go to uh, there was a there was a place called Manhattan Rocks, and there was uh, this uh, downtown. It's like a really cool place that sh- sold comics and T-shirts. Uh, what was the name of that place? Oh geez, I mean I, I know like Looney Tunes. Like I mean yeah yeah it was across you know, the street from Looney Tunes. Jeez, well I, I'll admit Doesn't something. Matter. I actually grew up in Oakville, so uh, my Burlington uh, geography is a little. Uh, <laughs> Not quite as good as my Oakville geography, but uh, no rules cafe. Okay, yeah. okay. No rules cafe. All right, so nobody cares. But uh, we we would just basically do all these gigs, and there was a really nice community, and it was yeah. I would I would definitely call that, you know, it was definitely part of our glory days. And you could have like a thrash band play with you know what we were, we were largely considered like kind of funk rock yeah. silly. You know, like we took the music seriously, but we would dress up and be ridiculous. Right. Um, and, and then Trunk was, you know, like a punk band. And sure. you would put all those bands together and have a great fucking time. I, you know, you sort of, you can sort of do that now. Like that does happen. But it did seem like, all right, this is, uh, this is just about watching a bunch of cool bands. And, you know, you might like one over the other, but it was about the entire, you know, lineup and the experience. It was, who cares who goes first or last? It was awesome. It was really, really fun. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, and I was there and, and, and I saw like a lot of those bands, although I don't think I ever saw Rainbow Butt Monkeys, but you know, like you, I mean, Grade and Jersey were two like bands I worshipped, you know, both from, from Burlington and um, you guys went to, was it Les, uh, Pearson? I went to Pearson for a couple of years and then I went up to Waterdown. Okay. Yeah. yeah. My, it's funny. My girlfriend actually went to Pearson too. Awesome. Uh, and our drummer went to Pearson. So it's funny, you know, the small world. But um, but I remember being, you know, feeling like an outsider being from Oakville, as, ri- as ridiculous as that sounds, <laughs> it being like literally a 10-minute drive. But the Burlington scene really did have something special. And, 
you know, what, what was funny about it was I thought it was more like a punk rock ska thing going on, you know, um, than, you know, any kind of like thing that you could ever put on the radio. But mm-hmm. then, you, you know, Rainbow Butt Monkeys emerges and then turns into Finger Eleven and it becomes like you guys are the biggest band ever to come out of Burlington. Uh, and I just thought that was interesting because you guys have obviously playing with all these bands, you must have some punk rock, you know, hardcore thrash. There must be that influence. You know, you must like that music too. Yeah, I don't, I, I think the, I try not to put too many, I mean, I'll listen to whatever. Right. You know, there was, there was a point when I was growing up that there were, there were, it's, it, it, it was the inverse of what you're going through as far as like your, uh, you know, getting your old man. Uh, mindset. <laughs> uh, it was. I had. I had. I had a lot of rules. You know. The. I wasn't. No one was allowed to like anything other than. Uh, what I. I mean. It was. It was Iron Maiden and Genesis for. For. Okay, that's for, a little uh, <laughs> far apart. I. I know. I know. But that's <laughs> all I cared about. And I mean, they have basically progressive elements, and they've got these, you know, fifteen-minute songs, and yeah, that's true. You know. Yep. Like if you listen to early Genesis, like uh, there's there's all kinds of interesting stuff that actually I still really really like. You know when you you can grow out of stuff that you attach yeah. yourself to, of course, right? But yeah, no, I mean I think even your new record, I've I've heard a little Peter Gabriel in there at some points. I thought oh, when I was I'll listening to it, did. yeah, it's not it's not a coincidence. It really I really did. I was like, huh, this could be this could definitely be uh, an early Genesis song. Oh man, thank you. That's a fucking cool compliment. That's uh, a compliment. Like yeah, that. somehow that's a compliment. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so I had it, I only, I got into like Beatles and the Who and Zeppelin and Jethro Tull. I got into those things later and then discovered, gosh, you know, when I got into high school it was more about uh you know like Tool was huge for right, us. Yeah who was big i mean i don't know when their new records coming out but i'm looking forward to that i hope there's more than like two or three songs on an album you know it always feels like that you get like uh from a full album you get i don't know two or three listenable things and then a bunch of like sonic experiments i just want a full record you know right but then it wouldn't be tool nope sure you know, wouldn't that's the that's the thing and that's where you get into like you know you, you can't, it's just like Finger Eleven. I'm sure there's people that buy your record and they want to hear six paralyzers and six one things. I fucking, I'd give it to them if I knew how to fucking do that. You know? So I don't know. So that, so you're trying, you want to repeat, I mean, that was kind of like, I mean, those songs and I, I don't want to be, I mean, like a dick, but <laughs> you know, you, you hit, you found lightning in a bottle with those songs. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, is that something you're trying to do again? Like no, all the time, is you just I, I like think you want a radio I, hit, and that's is that really what you what you want to do? Right. I mean, it's the short answer is no, but the real answer is I don't know how to do that. It's it is like, like if you go chasing after that, then it becomes really inauthentic. Yeah. You know, especially for a band like us, that you know, there's gonna be you know mellow stuff right next to heavy stuff. You know, it's kind of the songs are judged on. You know, they're their own merits and if we think it's cool then it finds its way onto a record but if you keep pushing if you're like oh we gotta have a hit we gotta have a hit like which is basically what every a and r conversation is right 
Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I've never been on a major label, so I'm I'm I feel like that that's a true thing. But every major label artist I've talked to are like, no, no, it was cool. And I'm like wondering if they, you know, someone's going to come to, you know, break their legs or something. So I think I've been watching too much of that new show vinyl. But <laughs> well, well, OK, so here's here's how it goes. You've got an A&R guy and a producer where they kind of they they wear the same hat a lot of times and they'll look at what's going on on a, on you know the charts like what's what's hot and then they'll then they'll show it to you and you know then you stare back at them and go okay like what the fuck do you want me to do with that i don't know <laughs> i don't I, right it, yeah. and i guess you can there's that decision making model where you go like oh okay so just write a song like fucking fallout boy i like i don't know right. i don't know i don't know how to do that and it's going to if we go down that path it's just going to sound like we're trying to achieve something that's, you know, totally fucking false. And it won't work. Right. I think sometimes, gosh, I don't know. Maybe it works with other bands, but I'd like to think that, that would, you just get fucking called out immediately. But, uh, you know, there's, there's like, um, I think there would be some, look, it took us five years to make this last record. <laughs> Yeah. You know, with with a few with a few, you know, we didn't we didn't work all the time, but we worked a lot of the time. But it was, um, I guess, it would be a lot easier to just sort of try to like McDonald's yourself a, you know, a hit song. Uh, and, I've never you heard know, that as a verb. I like that. <laughs> but I I don't think I have the skill. I'm probably more jealous about you know of people that can actually do that. So I mean, if I think that the 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 secret to longevity is just keep doing what your band likes to do. And you yep. can have conviction in all those ideas because you love them. Like, you know, the, ideally you're going to make the record and you're going to be on tour for the next two or three years and you're going to have to get up on fucking stage and do them over and over. So you better like them. Yeah. It's funny though. You say, you say that though about, you know, oh, I, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I can't just, just pl- like play anything. But I mean, Finger Eleven has had a lot of different sonic sounds. I mean, fr- yeah. you know, from when you started as, uh, you know, as Rainbow Butt Monkeys and, and when, you know, you got you came into your earlier stuff, and to now, I mean, it's I don't want to say all over the place because that sounds like an insult, and I don't mean it like that. But I mean, you're looking at 25 years of growth, yeah. You know, and Paralyzer for some people kind of came out of nowhere. Um, one thing, maybe a little less so, but still, in some ways, it did. So, I mean, if you guys made like more of a pop punk thing, I mean, if you did your own spin on it, it might work. Um, and I, maybe that is that what you, I guess that's what the A and R guys were trying to tell you. I don't I know. I think that, well the A and R guys. Some of them will be really frank. Like I remember this one guy who was like, "Yeah, look, I'm a I'm a whore for a hit. So you know, this is my advice. So you, you know, kind of take it or leave it. Yeah. And unfor- unfortunately, on that particular record, we we certainly left it. But what was my what was my point? I mean, the exciting thing is we're writing new stuff now. And what we tend to do is we, we go up to a cottage, we rent a cottage, and we just, you know, set everything up and see what happens. Yeah. And what's exciting about that is I really don't know what the next idea is going to sound like. I don't know what shape it's going to take. And that is so awesome. So I don't know what the target is, and I don't know what we're going to hit. But, you know, it's worked so far, and, like, I guess we're – I think we're too set in our, set in our ways to do it any other – to have any other method but i you know i'm up for whatever you know it's just sometimes songwriting is you gotta you catch these moments you know that's exactly what one thing and paralyzer were they were you know very short sessions 
I mean, the Paralyzer was like, holy shit, you guys, you made some sort of fucking disco rock song. How am I supposed to write to this? Like, how do I, I don't relate. Like, I don't understand how right. to, I don't even know how to move my body in a pleasing manner. Like, I don't <laughs> dance. So, so that's, I was like, aha, that's what I'll write about. I'll write about being an awkward person at a, in a cool situation. Right. So. That's real, know, though. That's, that's totally right. real. And that's, it's, that is your own, that is your own, you know, spin on it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody, <laughs> nobody has written a song about that, anything like that since. So, yeah, kudos to me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, the last record, I think I heard, well, I mean, you just said it, it took you guys five years to write it. And I heard that you recorded it in 12 days. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, you talk about, you know, two opposites, like, you know, I mean, I could understand maybe writing a record in two months and then recording it in 12 days. But, I mean, you must have had so many ideas and so, you know, I can't even imagine. I mean, especially a band like you guys, like, you know, you guys were on Wind Up Records and, uh, you know, that label was known for pouring money, you know, into things. And they have Mm -hmm. that crazy studio. And, you know, to go from that to all of a sudden, okay, this is your like sixth album or whatever it was. And. You know, you got to, you guys have 12 days to do it. That must have been, I mean, I, I think I would have freaked out. I don't think I could handle that kind of pressure. Well, that, that schedule came as a result of uh, agreeing to work with Dave Cobb, who is this Nashville guy who's yeah. kind of, a, you know, riding a fucking wave right now. He just won a bunch of Grammys and stuff with his work for, with uh, Chris Stapleton and, um, um, he's like, yeah, guys, you know, he, we, we had a conversation. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if you have this, like, uh, have you had a lot of, like, conference calls with producers and stuff before? Oh, yeah, before? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you kind of know how those go. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to get a feel. You know, you got six dudes on a on the phone. I, I dread them anyway. I don't, I don't yeah, like conference calls. Yeah, I've never calls. done one with, like, the full band. I've, I've talked to producers usually, like, I usually try to do it, like, one-on-one because ultimately I'm the one making the decision anyways. Nice, uh, okay. Or, or maybe, like, a couple of us on the phone. Uh, yeah, I could imagine having six people because you know it's the same way like if you ever try to mix a record or even mix a song when you have a whole band there Dude. it's like it's like the drummer wants the snare drum louder the guitar can't hear his leads yeah surprise surprise yeah exactly you know so it's the kind of the same thing when you have that that meeting i guess too well the problem like it, it in in the in the world of finger 11 that's that every decision is made by every single like everybody gets a say it's fucking ridiculous so no wonder it takes five years to make a record. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the conference call with Dave Cobb went really well, but he was like a little too casual about the timeline. He's like, yeah, guys, come on, just come on down to Nashville and like, we'll just, we'll hang out. Like I have a, a basement studio and we'll just, you know, like he made it sound like, oh yeah, yeah, I've got some time after school. Why don't you just like, uh, right. you know, come over and we'll hang out. And that was, I mean, it was exciting and like, a, oh, this will be kind of like keeping it real this would be very you know grassroots but also holy fuck man how are we supposed to do that we we're used to like months of studio time sure you know but miraculously you know you always use exactly the amount of time you've been given you right. know by it's the, it's you know that's that seems to be the the rule and uh dave wasn't worried because he's like dude i've i've made records in three days before so don't don't worry about it what happened every day was Dave had all our material, which was, I don't know, maybe maybe close to 30 ideas that we brought down. Yep. And we're like, okay, we believe in these. These, meet, these. these made the short list over the years. And he would just open up his phone and listen 
to these ideas we've slaved over <laughs> for a long time with his shitty iPhone, you know, going through those tinny speakers. Yeah. And he was like, oh, man, that lyric's good. Or, oh, that riff is wicked. Let's work on this. And he would just sort of react to a portion of the song, and we would break that song open, and by ah. the end of that day, we would, we would have it all done. And that's what we did for, uh, you know, whatever it was, like 12 days or something. So you guys didn't – that's cr- so crazy to me. Like I can't even imagine that. You have you, – you hear, someone hears a piece of a song and then you kind of rewrite the song around it and then you record it and you pretty much do the whole song in one day? Yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it happened. You know, there were some times where he liked this idea and we're like, yeah, that you, he would want to work on the bridge or yeah, you know, yeah. change the tempo. So some things would take longer than, than others, but that's exactly how uh, – Dave Cobb worked. I mean, it, you know, and it was so great because it did remind me of the old school Rainbow Butt Monkey days. We, there was this guy who had a basement studio uh, out of his parents' house and we, in Waterdown. And we would, after school, we would literally just go in and uh, <laughs> record, these, record these songs. It was great. You know, uh, so, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the big uh, studio with, you know the secretary and the and I mean it's fun because hey you know Starbucks runs and you know yeah. nice big kitchen and stuff like those are that's awesome but it's not that comfortable you know like you're under the microscope in the studio as it is yeah so with this you know with this basement studio in Nashville there was there was kind of nowhere to go except just kind of huddle around the studio and you know listen up it was it was it was really really cool so I mean it's a it's a whirlwind I hardly remember recording it. But I remember just with that, with those time restraints, it's a it's a neat way to invigorate an idea that's been kicking around for a couple of years as well. Right. So yeah. I would do that again, no fucking problem. That's crazy, yeah. Because I mean, our our first uh, conversation right off the top, you know, we were talking about how you know, like I mean, maybe I was more speaking for myself, but I thought you kind of agreed in that, like, take a long time to write songs, you take a long time to write lyrics, and for me, that kind of pressure, like. Okay, so we have this riff, and then, oh, the producer likes this one lyric, but now in one day, you have to kind of figure out what you're going to say because <laughs> the producer likes one lyric when you've slaved, you know, uh, uh, at your desk in your house for, like, night after night trying to put these lyrics together to, like, make sense. And now you kind of have to throw it together. Yeah. That pressure, okay, I mean, th- there's that pressure, and then the second part of, I guess, the question is, it's more, this is all more of a statement than a question, but <laughs> this is kind of how I do things, I guess. Uh, but, but the second part of it is just vocally as a singer, like, getting the takes right and making sure that you're, like, what if you lose your voice? Like, that, that kind of pressure would, would make me crazy. Yeah. I mean, I went down with a, with a nagging cough, oh, which, was, which was brutal. Um, but I did get saved because there were these we, – we brought our Pro Tools sessions down with us, even though that wasn't the plan. The plan was to just get in the room and you know, just retrack everything. Yeah. There, were certain, there were certain vocal takes where Dave was like, no, that fucking that, – you know, that bullshit demo vocal you did back at home. There was some magic in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got saved on a couple songs. Um, I I was kind of insistent. I was like, no, you know, there were certain moments where I was like, I can fucking sing that better. Like, please, I, I we need to find the time, you know. Um, but my worst nightmare is re reworking lyrics in the studio. And I mean, as a younger guy, like working on Tip and Grey as the Blue Skies, 
Oh, I was such, I was very difficult to work with. I mean, I gained a reputation pretty fast, but I mean, I just had these, con- this conviction and you know, the, there was a whole structure and it was, you know, it, it was just so, and we can't just fucking, we can't just add three lines here because it works. You know, I, I, I became very, um, pretty, uh, what staunch. <laughs> yeah. I was really stubborn, man. I, but I yeah. was kind of, I, I understand looking back now, I mean, I just wasn't flexible enough creatively. Um, and I'd like to say I'm getting better at that. But it's also like you don't want to fuck the integrity of your of your song and of your idea. But it's also only one part. Like You have to have so many things work well for a, for a whole song to, to, to work. You know, like sometimes, sometimes producers don't give a fuck about lyrics, you know, and yeah. some do. But uh, you know, as a, as a singer, it's it's so it's so important. But you know, if you need, yeah, I'll base what will end up happening is if we're working on an idea and be like, okay, well, if we need, uh, you know, there's a whole new bridge now, and bridges are the worst. I don't know if you feel the same way. <laughs> bridges can be the worst. Yeah, I mean, because you, you've already struggled figuring out. <laughs> well, you know, generally speaking, like you know, the verse kind of tells a story, and the 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 second verse will tell like, you know, maybe a different side of the story. And then the chorus ties it together. But what the fuck is the bridge for? Yeah. It's this gotta be the same, but different. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking annoying. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, you know, it's a, uh, I, I think I'm getting a little bit better. It's just those time. It basically makes a lot of late nights to kind of go, okay, so we're done. We're done the session for today, but I have to have a bridge. And I have to have this course make sense by tomorrow. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I could not do that. No way. Like I, I can go with a little bit of pressure uh, here and there. Like I'll go, I'll go into um, like a beginning of recording, kind of with you know with some stuff. And I, I've, I'm guilty of writing lyrics the night before, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like, oh god, that pressure and having limited time to actually sing it would be really, really, really tough. So, are you gonna gonna do work with work with Dave again um, the next time around? Or what's your uh, what's your thinking right now for the next record? I, mean, I would love I would love to do it again. I really would, but I don't think we can afford him now. Like he's just got a fucking mitt full of Grammys, dude. Like there's yeah. no way, you know. But he's exactly what you want a producer to be. Just you know, very laid back, but like really talented, and basically facilitates the whole session. You know, he's not didactic, but you know, he's just uh, he he's really um, like a musician's producer i suppose is what i want to say i mean i would man i would do it it was just a it was awesome absolutely that's great no that's that's cool that's cool yeah i i just always wonder like that that experience when i read about that i just really wanted to get inside your head because i i mean i couldn't do it (laughs) so i want to talk let's go a little bit back um and talk about some of the crazy you know we already talked a little bit about about uh you know your two you know biggest hits um but when you guys first started, you know, being a Canadian band and touring Canada, I guess, initially, when was the first time you guys actually went to the U.S.? And how were your first couple, you know, U.S. tours down there? <laughs> the first big U.S. tour, because, okay, so here's how it went. When we were, we were the Butt Monkeys, and we got, we had some success in Canada, but, you know, America had never heard of us. And there was a point where we were writing new stuff, and it became a little more serious that there wasn't like a a funk element to it or anything. Yeah. So we kind of had to acknowledge that. Like we felt 
responsible. You know, we were like, we have to tell, you know, we have to change because like this music is different. And so we told our label, like, yeah, we're not, we're not the Bumbuggies anymore. We, we want to be Finger Eleven. And they were like, oh, okay, you know, they, they, I mean, look, they signed us and they poured all kinds of resources into us, but we're like, ah, I don't know what you're supposed to do, you know, with a yeah. band that has, um, that, that comes to you like that. But, uh, we, we, we recorded the first Finger Eleven record under their Canadian deal and we released it and within a week they dropped us. <laughs> Oh my God! Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was crazy. But we also felt like, oh no, no, no. We just made an amazing record. Like, there's no stopping us. So we don't they drop a- they dropped you because it, you just weren't what they signed because there we were- was Rainbow Butt Monkeys and you guys had this like you said you dress up and it was kind of fun and then you guys wanted to go a more serious route, which is which is so typical for somebody that like. D- decides when they're whatever. What were you eighteen years old? Yeah. Decide. Yeah. Oh, eighteen. I'm a man now. I have to oh, be this serious absolutely. man. So that that's kind everything. of funny in hindsight. I bet for you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I, but I was that it was what it was? A, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. It was more of a label shakeup, and we were a casualty of that. Oh, okay. But um, you know, we were we were. I just remember the we were at this lunch, and the president of the label was like, "Look, guys, you know, no one's getting dropped. Don't worry about it. It's going to be a shakeup." And I, I think it was the next day or the day after. You know, we got the news. So it, that was kind of scary. Of course, yeah. That was when the first drummer left. And uh, then we got picked up by this American label eventually. We got picked up by Windup, whose first signing was Creed. Okay? That was, yeah. the first, that was their first signing. We were their second. We were their second signing. And they thought we were going to be every bit as big as that fucking band. And so our first tour in America was with Creed crazy yeah it was it was a little bit crazy because they uh they had basically earned instant success like they were filling stadiums on their first record <laughs> yeah nuts I know. right so to them that's how that's what the music business was like you know it was easy you just it's, it's make, easy yeah you sure. make you make 12 songs and then boom you fill the stadium come on get with it so i mean they were very kind they um they were really nice to us we, I remember the first night, like we pulled into our hotel and like they were in the bar and Scott Stapp invited us onto his uh, bus and he's like, Oh, what, what's that song? What's that first song on your record? Quicksand, quicksand. And he grabs a, an acoustic guitar and he, he asked Jay to play it. <laughs> oh my God, this is so, amazing. So Jay starts playing it. Cause what the fuck else are you going to do? And then he asked me to start singing it. And so I, I'm like, Okay, all right, here goes. And so I'm just kind of waiting for my turn to kind of come in. And James is playing away. And then he, before I come in, right before I come in, he just starts fucking vamping. He just starts singing his own version of um, <laughs> a song that's not quicksand. He was just, he got inspired by it. And uh, <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the... Um, that's the G-rated version of that story. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to break out the the rest of it later on. But yeah, that was a that was oh, an no no night. please please go for it now. I want to hear. We, you <laughs> can know. say you can say fuck. You can talk about anything. It's just fine. Uh, no, it was um they were that was ironically we you know we 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 hung out all night and they were very very nice and and um can't remember I can't remember a guy's last name. It's okay. Guitarist guitarist for fucking Creed. Mark Tremonti. Tremonti. Fuck, man. He knows so much. First of all, he's like a big gaming nerd like me. Okay. Uh, um, he likes his like RPGs and stuff. So we hit it off, and then he knows a ton about music. So that was always great uh, to kind of 
you know, to find an excuse to talk, you know, whenever you can, you can always find common ground, but like, there's always at least one dude yeah, that likes sure. games and nonsense in, in, in a band. But uh, they were they, they treated us like we were on like some sort of uh, equal level, which was really nice. They they seemed to be fans, especially on that first tour. But we didn't hang out with them more than that first night ever. Like they were busy. It was kind of you know you do a stadium tour, then you do radio visits all day, and then you play, and then you're exhausted. You know that's yeah, the, that's sure, that's, that's the problem when 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 they're on that with you know. There's only so much Red Bull can do. <laughs> Well, there's things there's things stronger than Red Bull, so I've heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I'll 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 stick with my beer. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, me too. But I mean, those, those guys. I mean, Scott Stapp. Now, I mean, I mean, you, you're not still in touch with him, are you? I'm not, but I have heard that he's. Uh, gosh, it's sort of peaks and valleys, right? Because he put out that crazy YouTube. Yeah, appeal. I, I saw that. Yeah, but I mean, I've only had. Well, that's you know that, that that last story isn't like a very normal reaction, but I've heard that he has become far more humble and and normal. But you know that was a report a couple of years ago. Right? Yeah, uh, you don't know. <laughs> I mean, I can't even imagine like that. You know, I, I guess it's you know you you get that you get that success right off the bat, and it changes people. You know, and um, I, for you, like, I mean, I, you've been you've been a successful musician since you like you know probably before you could drive you know so that <laughs> yeah. that's the like that's crazy do you, do you ever think about about that stuff like like your whole life has been music you never had a, there was never like a time when a, a guidance counselor would have came up to you and and would have been like what do you want to do and you'd be like i'm gonna be in a fucking band the guidance counselor yeah. would have been like yeah you should do that because you guys are really successful yeah. already you know? know like it's so wacky that you never like i mean you guys never went to to college or anything i'm sure did you no, we had to make that decision. I was accepted into some like engineering program, and then uh, I want I, I wanted to be like a mixer. I wanted to be an engineer, you know, as far as music went. Yeah. And little did I know. I mean, I do not have the fucking patience for that. You know, I uh, the amount of, of obsessing you have to do to make you know a three minute song sound good. You know, sometimes is you know there's a lot of there's a lot of meticulous things. That you know, to make a song sound effortless, it's the, you know, there's 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 a lot that goes that goes on, and just the studio bores me, and I'm glad that I chose this path. You know, like the singer, you know, it's like, look, yeah, a singer can only sing for a couple hours a day, and then his voice starts to change, right. and that's enough time in the studio for me. Like, I just listening to the same song over and over and over, it's fucking crazy. But yeah, I I, I don't understand why my parents let me. You know, they I, they weren't, you know, they're not like huge musical people or anything, but they were like, oh, yeah, you know, they, they understood that music meant all, more to me than, than most things. But to kind of go back, like if I were to be able to talk to myself as, you know, a 16-year-old, be like, dude, get a fucking backup plan. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, but I, I, I had the, the, that crazy conviction. I was like, no, this I got it. I, I love music. I love, I love singing. Nothing else makes me feel like... Uh, I do when 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 I get to sing. Fuck it. This is this is awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome that you you were not only did did it work out for you, but you know you still you still seem to have so much passion for it. So yeah, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. I mean, you grew up in in Burlington, uh, mm-hmm. not too far from me, and <laughs> your brother obviously was obviously a good friend of yours, and you guys grew up playing music together, and you still are. Um, so how's that dynamic in your family? 
it's it's pretty great, you know, because I mean, I get to I get to see my brother all the time. It's not, you know, it's not just on like Christmases and Thanksgiving and stuff. And Sean is very much the anchor. Like, he, yes, he's the bass player, so haha. But he's also the most normal and responsible. Like, he's definitely the reason we're still around. Like, because the basically the responsible guy gets to you know make sure uh, everything's working properly, and so the rest of us can you know fuck around. That's that's kind of. <laughs> kind of the dynamic so back in the early days james would come over to my house after school and i had i was a drummer i was not a singer we just i had this awesome set of drums with uh roto toms i saved up all my fucking paper (laughs) paper. i had to have i had to have roto toms because because neil peart had it that's so funny dude they were the fucking do you remember what i'm talking about of course i know roto toms yeah (laughs) i had a set i think i had a set I don't know why I had some because I never bought them. I think somebody like my dad's friend that was a drummer, I think he brought a bunch of like drum gear over. And I think he left Rototoms at my house for like six months because I I, like vividly (laughs) remember having them and being like, these are, you know, to be honest, I thought they were kind of they were like bordering on kind of lame. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But but even at that point, I somehow knew they weren't that cool. But uh, they are kind of kind of funny and fun. So I was just like, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to be able to do the longest fucking fills, man. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, for, I bought them from Pongetti Music. I, I don't know if that takes you back, but yeah. Um, so, oh, yeah. so anyway, James would come over and we would play uh, Rush songs. We would play Zeppelin songs. We would, correction, we would play the first 20 seconds of each song and then kind of not know what to, uh, not know the rest of the song. But Sean would listen to us. And he was like, man, the, the, you know, he wanted to kind of join up. So he just ended up buying a bass and, you know, hanging it out, hanging out after school. And uh, I went to Pearson. James went to MM. That's uh, Pearson's where I met Rick. Yep. And Rick was very much like Jimi Hendrix, hippie, long hair, um, kind of uh, he was he was very cool. He was very uh, kind of he was. He had that exterior, like, oh, this guy's too cool. But he ended up being like the nicest out of all, like the cool friends. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I lied to him and I said I had a fucking awesome drum kit. I had like <laughs> I can't remember what I said. I had like a whatever whatever pearl whatever pearl kit. I was like, yeah, this is fucking. Yeah, you, you said you had a pearl master series, but really you just had like a pearl export. Dude, I had here's what I had. I had a floor tom, a snare, one cymbal, and I used my bed. <laughs> for a for a drum stool, so because I, I convinced I convinced Rick and all his cool friends, I was like, yeah, you guys gotta gotta come over and jam. You gotta see my you gotta see my drums, man. I just wanted friends, I guess. I, I was like, I'll I'll deal with this deception <laughs> later. Because <laughs> they get to my house and they're like, dude, this is not this is not a you know this is not a pearl fucking masters yeah right. set at all, and. uh that didn't matter, you know. Rick and Rick and James, they 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 met and they immediately kind of disliked each other, basically on musical. James didn't have any respect for Jimi Hendrix, and <laughs> oh fuck, I, I think yeah, that's right. Rick went. We went to pick James up, and Rick had a Jimi Hendrix tape in his dad's fucking Monte Carlo, and uh, uh, Rick goes, "Yeah, man, what do you think of Jimi Hendrix?" And <laughs> James goes, "Yeah, I think he fucking sucks." <laughs> like he was, he had such a chip on his shoulder, and I can't. Oh, that's God. We were young. Yeah. So I mean, we would just kind of do that over and over. You know, eventually we we learned enough covers to kind of you know get a couple open mic gigs together, 
there was a place called O'Tools in Burlington. We and yeah. there was uh, you know people that would show up, and this guy claimed he was from Sony Music. <laughs> that didn't. That wasn't true. Uh, and then you know the big break after we did a couple demos in Waterdown, we 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 got that ninety-seven-seven uh, contest, and we actually won it, which was that was crazy. That was a, that was a pretty neat moment. That kind it is of, crazy, but you know, with those radio contests, you know, I mean. Those are usually usually those are just a joke, you know. Like someone <laughs> wins, and then oh, what do you win? Oh, you win like more studio time, or like mm-hmm. maybe then the executive for a label might actually listen to it. But you guys, it actually was a real thing. Yeah, it turned out to be. You know, it definitely felt real. I mean, we're look, we were high school kids, so it was like, wow, this was you know anything beyond open mic night at O'Toole's. Yeah, all right, yeah, that was <laughs> definitely a big a big deal. And it's just been going from there. We've been just trying to write cool stuff, you know, over and over. And yeah, tastes change and everything like that. But uh, I'm really proud of the new record. I think that um, I think old school fans that are actually giving it a chance, um, it, we're getting a lot of feedback that's positive, and that it's not always the case with every record we release. It's just not, you know. Yeah. Depending on how many beers that you know your 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 fan bro has had to drink like they'll tell you exactly before what he logs think. into facebook yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah well the facebook stuff yeah okay that's <laughs> way yeah that's really it's quite uh direct but uh yeah man i mean you got to respect it's you, you can't have it both ways like whatever their opinion is I, I i will not be able to change it it's like you got to if you like it that's fucking awesome i do too but if not i have to definitely i totally have to respect it Absolutely no. So um, yeah, we we kind of got off track. We've really jumped around a lot on this interview, but <laughs> I like I kind of like that. It's real. But uh, I, I, I want to talk a little bit. I kind of lost my train of thought. But um, when you guys started touring the U.S., because you guys had this r- record deal with Wind Up, but and you guys had some success. But I mean, I remember your success in Canada just being like massive because I live here and I heard you know I couldn't get away from those, those songs on the radio even if I wanted to. <laughs> Uh, but with, in the U.S., it took a lot longer, right? Like one thing oh. was kind of your first first real hit, right? Right. So you had Tip, which was re-released in America, and um, you had Quicksand as a single. You yeah. had uh, uh, Awakened Dreaming or Constellation Day, whichever whichever version you had. It's the same song. Uh, and then what other song did they try to – Above. I think Above was a single as well. Okay. They didn't do a whole lot. In, in America, and then Greatest of Blue Skies came out, and the only single off that, I think, was Drag You Down in America anyway. Right. And that didn't do so well. People like to talk about those first two records as, a, you know, but, I, I mean, they... <laughs> commercially, not a lot of yeah, people commercially, they, them, didn't do it, you know? they didn't do that yeah. well. Uh, yeah. But, but you guys at this time, I mean, because you're talking about, like, you know, a three-year period or four-year period of touring. Were you guys like full-time touring in the U.S. and Canada and the world at this point on these records? Those were North. That was that basically put us in North America. I don't think we did any any kind of uh, no Europe, no UK stuff until the third record. Oh and wow! On the third record, yeah, that kind of opened things up, and I'm I, I, I'm a, I'm a little I'm particularly proud of that record only because that's the that marked the beginning of Finger Eleven, you know, kind of 
writing everything. You know, there were some, like, we worked intensely with Arnold Laney on the first two records. Yep. And that's, you know, he just basically, I mean, it's this, some producers really get their hands dirty and he definitely contributed a fucking ton, uh, on that, on those records. Like, you know, the, the beat in condenser, uh, oh, even in the idea and above, he basically said, well, look, why don't you just make the chorus? Like, why don't we just come all the way down on the chorus instead of have it be loud? Just make it really, really soft. Right. Right. Yeah. It's and, totally, I mean, totally it was just, idea. It, was, yeah. it was shit like that that blew our minds. And he was, he, he contributed like, you know, really like boots on the ground stuff, like melody and stuff. Like there's, there's co-writing credits on both those records because yeah. that's how he works. You know, it's like a Trevor Horn situation. And we were fucking grateful to have that. However, it's like we learned all, you know, we learned a fuck ton. And on the third record, it was time for us to kind of, you know, do things our way. And yeah, and you went with Johnny K, right? We went with Johnny K, but not before we had all these ideas like fully fleshed out. Not yeah. to say, you know, things do change, but it was like the only, you know, we wrote one thing on the fucking sunny day at a cottage, you know, James and I were trying to, we were actually trying to finish the song, uh, a couple, a handful of songs. There was a song called stay in shadow, which is pretty fucking heavy song. And then right after that, he just <laughs> he had this acoustic in his hand and started playing. And I was like, that's awesome. So we, you know, we, we, we finished that song in a couple hours. We had one thing yeah. as a result of Isn't this. Isn't it funny kind of- you, how sometimes that happens? Your, like your biggest songs are either the ones that you spent the most time time on or the least amount of time on. Oh, forget it, right? I mean, it's yeah, it's it, it's just a quick little moment for you, and, and and then it sort of gets its its own life, which is really really great. But I, I guess it's more like, all right, this is definitely more representative of the band. But we we talked to a lot of producers before we landed with Johnny K, and everybody had all these different ideas of what to do. You know, in order to like improve this little song called One Thing. And there was just this amount of conviction. We we're like, you know, that's great. That's that's an that's one idea, but it's your idea. Like this we're basically not fucking changing anything. Right. So this is it. You know, and that's you know, you, you gotta you gotta have that conviction sometimes because you pay a producer to fucking have ideas. And it comes back to judging music. Is it different? Is it or is it is it is it, you know, quantifiably better? I don't fucking know. I just, you know, there's nothing wrong with this little acoustic song. So, you know, fucking leave it alone. You know, so you get a little bit, you get a little, (laughs) you get a little bit protective. Like there are songs I know when we go into the studio, it's like, okay, this needs work. All right. We got to figure this out. But that third record was the, the fact that it got, became pretty successful was just that much sweeter. It was like fucking awesome. Like we stuck to our guns and we got it done. And, uh, you know, it was kind of neat. That's when we got to go to, you know, we got to, we got to go to Europe and the UK for the first time. And it was, it was really cool to see what one song can do for you. Is, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Especially one song that's, that's, you know, basically acoustic guitar and vocals and like a kick drum. Yeah, you know, that's, that's it. But I mean, I, I wonder if there was any hesitation with like the label and, and you guys putting so much into that because like, I remember it was maybe a little later. This was like what, like 2003, this, that this happened, but you know, I, I remember there were songs like, um, you know, the Plain White Tees, Hey There, Hey There, Delilah. You yep. know, like, they had been a band for a while, too, and they were, like, a full-on, you know, like, rock band. And then they, they released this single that's the biggest song they've ever done, and it's, like, one guy doing it. Were you guys ever worried about that song becoming massive and then people being like, oh, I thought, 
you know, like the same way there's other other examples like Sugar Ray Fly, you know, Sugar Ray was like a metal band and then yeah, Fly yeah, came they out, were. you know, like, like, were you ever afraid of, oh shit, this is going to change like what our perception of our band is that we've been working on for so long? I suppose that's the nature of singles. But all I knew was that I liked the song. Well, not not the nature of, of not not just singles, but that particular single yeah. being so stripped down and, and soft, you know? Yeah, and it's kind of like, okay, there's not 13 more of that song on any record. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, I guess it's a left turn, but I will say that it didn't matter to me only because I really, I really like the song. I mean, I wrote the fucking thing, you know? So it's like, uh, kind of take it or leave it, but it's, it's, it's a cool song. On, on, on what we think is a cool record. Now, does the record have like a homogenous sound? No. But I've also heard that in, in the case of the Plain White Tees, I don't think they were really happy about like re-releasing that song. Yeah, because it was you on know? one of their earlier records. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's a different situation. Like if you're forced into a situation by your label, which thank God, you know, we, we, you know we're just stubborn enough to kind of you know, escape every single fucking time. Um, that's, that's shitty, man, because then you get this success and you're like, ah, this is a successful tragedy here. You know, like that's, that's not, that's not great. So if somebody were to like, you know, force us into that, that's a different situation. So yeah, you know, the perception of the band, you know, had to have changed. It's like, okay, you know, if there's, if there's rules to your music listening and you know, you're, you like hard rock. Right. And, you know, you're not allowed to listen to like acoustic stuff. <laughs> then then we're, you know, we're not for you. We can't do it. Right. Yeah, man. Uh, I want to ask you, too, like at this time, you know, when that song was was getting massive and you guys having this blow up, that was kind of like when you started having the emergence of like you mentioned, like Fall Out Boy and this whole like emo scene and all that, um, you know, and there really was a shift. Did you guys did you guys notice that or were you guys like just felt totally removed from that? Yeah, like I, I don't know. There was what ended up happening in the, you know, we we got some attention from, you know, drag you down. Like we kind of we came up with, yeah, before right before that stuff hit, there was like that kind of new metal rap rock stuff. Yeah, so we played we played with a lot of those fucking bands, which really didn't make fans. You know, like <laughs> when we were put in front of those audiences, like we did not. We did not please them. Oh, you know, but people was, lumped you in as new metal all the time. Yeah, I know. You know, and, you, I know. and you're not. No, but you can't expect, you know, I think my ego, you sort of, you, you want people to like listen to an entire record all the time and go, oh, okay, I, I see what they're doing. They're doing all kinds of stuff. <laughs> you yeah. know, there's, there's, there's some interesting uh, things here. It's not all just heavy. It's not all just mellow. That's totally fucking unrealistic. And I, I do get that now, but <laughs> um, we, we we did we we um, we were I mean that was the musical climate of the time, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, there was there was a shift. But I'm not really I'm not great with keeping up with uh, you know trends and and the business that I'm in. Yeah, you know, for better or for worse, I'm I'm I, I focus more on okay. How can we get fucking twelve awesome fucking songs together? You know what? What? What do we do? What? What makes? What? 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 What do we? Uh, what can we improve on? What can? You know what gets us going? So I don't know. There was kind of all the way through. There was. It, it's all like, oh, those were those were you know those bands put out some fucking decent songs or this doesn't resonate with me. But as far as you know, trends and what's charting and 
you know, being like a responsible musician, you know, figuring out what, what, what the business is doing. I've, ne- <laughs> I've always been fucking terrible at that. Let the A&R guys worry about that. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I know. I was a little, I was a little tongue in cheek, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll pay attention, then tell you what songs to write. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, man, that, that's a whole nother thing that, that like, you know, I guess we've been lucky enough that we've been on independent labels that have some have had major label backing here and there at times and, and distribution and stuff, but never like any, like no one's ever told me what kind of fucking song to write. And that must, uh, that would be really tough on me too. I think. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit in the meeting. I won't fucking storm out, but it's, it's like, okay. I mean, I guess we should be aware of the, the, the climate of the, the, the map of things, but, yeah, it's a t- I mean it's a total whatever dude situation, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> they don't they don't give a fuck about you know your credibility or your career. They're it's more about getting a hit, I think. Yeah. So we've been lucky enough to happen upon two of those. Yeah. You know, like very organically, as organically as you can. But we, you know, Make no mistake, we had a giant, you know, wind-up was a big machine. You mentioned pouring money into it. Like, we had two fucking huge flops before we had, um, you know, a big hit with the third Finger Eleven record. Like, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, we were very, very lucky. Uh, yeah. But it was kind of a different time. <laughs> I mean, calling them, calling, calling Tip and Grace of Blue Skies flops are like, I mean, maybe just because in Canada they were still really, really big, you know? Um, but... I mean, I would not call them flops anyways, but I mean, you, you know, you got to build something and, and you did. And, uh, it's great I, that you're still, you know, you guys are still at it and you're still working on your craft and, um, what's, uh, what's coming up next for you guys. So, I mean, we're basically going to try to, uh, get busy with touring this year and then we're making more music like already. So I just hope we can rinse and repeat, just kind of keep this, keep this together. We're working on, a video for the new single, and uh, I, I think this new record has a lot of life left in it. Still, we just got to convince yeah. the rest of the world that that's true. You know, I mean, yeah. I, it, going back to <laughs> flops, it's just your ego, Shane. You know what I mean? Like when you write a when you write a record, and you're like, oh, okay, this this should take over a decent part of the planet. Let's fucking do it. And then <laughs> I just remember being a, a, you know, a young kid and kind of having having to come to terms with, oh, that's this is not how it works. Not everything you do is gonna, you know, seize the rest of the uh, rest of the world, and uh, you you kind of <laughs> it just I don't know you got to calibrate your expectations a little bit, but also it's like uh no this come on we we just wanna we just want everybody to hear how fucking cool this shit is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Well, hey, being, yeah, being cool is a big part of the music uh, game, I guess. Well, you know what? It's too bad. Can't be. Can't be forty and cool still, so that ship has sailed. Uh, that's right. Well, you gotta write. You gotta write some uh, some more great songs, and that's all you can do. Yep. Yep. True. All right, man. Hey, anything else you wanna you wanna talk about or anything, or Fuck. I'll uh, before I let you go? I think we ran the gamut here. This was an interesting. We did. Com- my- my brain is like a fucking pinball. It's just back and forth and all over the place. So I, I, I do apologize for that. No, I but, like it, man. I like the, the you know, tw- 25 years of Finger Eleven and Rainbow Butt Monkeys, and we've covered it all, just not really quite in uh, succession. So uh, <laughs> it's a Perfect. beautiful thing, man. That's, that's how I think that's the most organic way to, to really talk about it. You know, your mind jumps around, and, and hopefully the people listening to this uh, followed us. 
Yeah, yeah. Get some <laughs> get some coffee in you, and it might be easier. <laughs> Dude, uh, I'll let you go, man. But thank you so much for for uh, being on being on my show, and I hope I hope to see you around, and uh, maybe we'll we'll meet in person sometime. Awesome, man. That would be fucking great. All right, Scott. All right, Take we'll care, man. Bye. All the best. So there's my conversation with Scott. Really, really interesting for me, uh, you know, growing up where I grew up. And it's amazing our paths never crossed. I guess Finger Eleven and Silverstein just being in very different scenes and very different circles. Um, but really was great talking to him and, and eye-opening for me. I'm going to leave you with, well, I guess not leave you with, but I'm going to play a Finger Eleven song, which we referenced a whole bunch. I'm sure you guys know it. Uh, but here is one thing by Finger Eleven. And make sure after this is over, you stick around for my conversation with Tyson Motzenbacher, who is an amazing new artist. And uh, one of his songs will be, will be playing at the end. So this is the last you'll hear from me. But thank you very much. Peace and love. Restless tonight Cause I wasted the light Between both these times I drew a really thin line It's nothing I planned And not that I can But you should be mine Across that line If I traded it all If I gave it Just for one thing If I sorted it out If I knew all about this one thing Wouldn't that be something I promise I might Not walk on by Maybe next time But not this time even though I know I don't wanna know Yeah, I guess I know I just hate how it sounds If I traded it all If I gave it all away for one thing Just for one thing If I sorted it out If I knew all I
Uh, it's not a family show. Hey, <laughs> we'll start yeah, there. Yeah. How's it going, not Tyson? <laughs> I'm here with, it, with Tyson Motzenbacher of Tyson Motzenbacher fame. Uh, how are That's you doing right. on this fine afternoon? I'm doing real well, man. How, how about you? How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely great. I'm just hanging out. I just got my guitar fixed, which... Uh, oh, yeah, which... Which guitar? I have I I have a Taylor. I have a couple Taylors, but yeah. my kind of like stay at home guitar. Um, it, it I was having problems with like the strings fretting out. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and apparently that's just due to like dryness this time of year. Uh, hmm. You know, where I do live, you, where do you live? I live in uh, Toronto, Canada. Oh, really? So awesome. yeah, so it's very it gets very dry in the winter and very cold and i guess like because i live in a condo building and my my walls are like concrete or whatever it makes it even worse so the guy at the guitar shop uh fixed it up and i got it back i got my baby back you know you know how it is yeah yeah that's always like it's like uh it's exciting it's like the modern day equivalent of like getting a roll of film back yeah something like that yeah Yeah. but then the thing is he's like he's like oh yeah but what's gonna happen is because he had to fix like the height of the 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 bridge i guess He's yeah. like, what's going to happen though is when it gets, uh, uh, you know, back to normal climate, uh, it's the bridge is going to like graze, and then your action's going to be all like crazy high and stuff. So I'm like, I have to do this like every season. What is going on? So I, I don't even know. But hey, um, it's all fixed and ready for tour, and I'm excited. You got a tour coming up? We do, we do. Are you interviewing me? This is great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah no, we're going. It. We're going out um, yeah, on a headlining run uh, across uh, Canada and into the U.S. Uh, nice. So should be should be a lot of fun. Yeah, man. But tell are me you, about. Are you playing in? Oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, you, you can ask me that question. Are you? Uh, are you? You're playing in Western Canada. Yeah, we are. We're going right out to uh, Vancouver. Where are you playing in uh, Calgary? <sighs> in Calgary, we are playing at the. Is it the gateway? It might okay. be the gateway. I know. I don't know. I, I for some reason like Canadian venues. I always mix up the names. Uh, yeah. You know, despite it being my home country, I like we don't we don't go out there very much because you know the cities are so far apart. Dude, it's so far. Yeah. Have it's you done so a lot far. of touring in in Western Canada? Yeah, I did. I've I've never really gone like. Let's see here. I think I've never gone east of like Red Deer. Oh yeah. Red Deer is the most east I've gone, which is not very east. Yeah, it's funny because us, us like east, you know, eastern side of the continent people, uh, like Vancouver is so foreign. You know, despite it being yeah. what is it, the third, second, or third biggest in Can- city in Canada, we've only played Vancouver like three times in like a fifteen-year career. It's oh my god, completely gosh. insane. Uh, you know, yeah. like we've played Seattle and like we've played Portland, like those cities, we've played way more than Vancouver for some reason, but. But hey, but I digress. Um, I want to talk to you about about what's going on with you. I know you have a record that's coming out very soon. Actually, it's March 4th, I believe. And when this podcast is out, I'm sure the record's already going to be out. And uh, I heard have an advanced copy of the record, and I think it is absolutely a tremendous record. I think it's awesome. Oh, man. Thank you so much. What's it called? Yeah, it's called Letters to Lost Loves is the name of the record. Right. And um, yeah. Are you a big Dallas Mavericks fan or, or what's that reference about? <laughs> yeah, um, that was just a so there's a, yeah the first song on the record is called In Your Name and it's talking about uh, just sort of like the crazy claims that people make in the name of God. Right. Um, and so well, I, I remember just at one point I was talking to uh, during a time in my life when I was really sort of like running all of the like running all of the all of the claims that people had made. Uh, particularly like to prayer, like the things that God 
answers prayers about. And I was running those all through the like filter in my brain. And the one that popped out to me was this friend of mine who's a, a rad guy. And he might have been doing this in, in, in joking. He might have been doing it jokingly, but he uh, he's a big Dallas Mavericks fan. And he, uh-huh. was pray- he was praying that they would get better at their three pointers. Yeah. And then they like did get better at their three pointers. And then he was all <laughs> he was all psyched about it. He was like, dude, God really came through on the three pointer prayer. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I love that. Yeah. I, I that that um you know stuck out at me. I'm a big sports fan too. Yeah, yeah. Um but that whole you know, that whole verse, and I wrote it down. I don't know if I got it all right, because I they didn't send me the lyrics, just the songs, but I think the 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 verse is like, son, I don't think Jesus is in the business of healing anymore. Maybe yeah. he's occupied with other people's wars or he's organized militias to fight the war on Christmas, or maybe he's protecting our children from the gays who have promised to destroy this utopia we've made, which is obviously a lot of, there's a lot of tongue in cheek, uh, yeah. you know, stuff in there about, you know, I guess the way some people kind of, ha- you know, have their, their religion. Um, right. But I really, it really, and I'm not even, I'm an atheist. So, I mean, it really, right. but it really, it still spoke to me as like, you know, yeah. what's going on in, you know, in our world right now in, um, in 2016. Yeah. I mean, I'm t- particularly in like in America, you know, I, I know in Canada, it's like, I've got a lot of friends that live in Canada and it's like, it feels to me like there's a little bit more of a national identity there. Um, but at the place that we're in now, it feels like all of the things that used to really matter to people like individually, you know, things like nationalism or, or the idea of like your, your personal faith or, or whatever it is, all of those things have sort of been like artilleryized. They've all been turned into like weapons to like, to like shoot at each other. Yeah. And it's, it's just like become such a, and I'm not like really an especially political person or anything like that. But I think that what I was, just you see all this like vitriol all day long on social media and just in the way that people talk about things um, that where everyone sort of is talking like they're under attack um, and they're under attack by the things that other people love basically like, you know, right. Oh, so I'm a Christian. And so the gays are, the gays are punishing me for being a Christian. And then the, and then the people in the, you know, LGBTQ community are like, Oh, the Christians are punishing me for for the people that I love or whatever. And it's like this, all these people pointing cannons at each other, but we're really about things that should be things that you care about that should bring people together. But ultimately they're like driving people apart. And, uh, so my, my, when I was writing that song, I was going, I was going through the, like the death of my mother, who was like my hero and like me and my, you know, my family all like trying to like sort of intercede for her, uh, um, to like to the higher power. Right. And then, and then nothing happening. And then all these people praying for stuff like that, like that God would protect Christmas and stuff. And it's me being like, dude, like, like I am in a great deal of pain here and not hearing back from the guy up there that you're trying to like shoot your guns about. Right. Um, so that was, that was for me, it was like a place of being like, uh, just feeling like everyone was just kind of confused and scared and not knowing where to swing. Like everybody was kind of punching each other in the dark and me being caught in the middle of it. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah. a lot of that, the way you talk about that almost reminds me of, and I'm sure he's got to be one of your influences, but like, but like the way Pedro Lyon, um, you know, sings about, about religion, especially like some of the earlier, um, records, you know, is he a big influence I, of yours, David Bazan? Well, being from the Northwest, uh, I mean, he's a, he is a hero of oh, the yeah. Northwest, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I grew up, I grew up 
listening to Pedro and I watched his whole system, his whole like system of thinking break down in a really beautiful way. Yeah. And, uh, I played it. I remember I played a show with him when I was in college. I was like a freshman in college. And somehow I got this slot opening for him. Like one of his first tours as a solo artist. And, uh, we went out, uh, afterwards we went out to dinner, just he and I and this, and then like one other person. And I just sat there and just asked him question after question after question. And I think the reason that I, uh, appreciated him so much. And the reason that he continues to creep into my music is that um, he is able to be thoughtful and um, kind while continuing to break down everything that he's ever stood upon, which I think is terrifying, right? Like if anyone can break down everything you've ever stood upon, like his, he comes from a really, you know, a super conservative evangelical yeah. Christian background and just decided that wasn't for him recently or, you know, by five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, um, but he's, he has just kind of in so many ways opened up his mind to at least the interpretation that I have of who God is, you know, more so now than he ever did before, which is, um, I think it's just beautiful, man. I think he's such a thoughtful, kind, awesome guy. So he'll always be a big part of the way that I look at great art. I think. Absolutely. No, he's one of my favorite artists of all time too. Um, and yeah, I've you know loved him since the since the hardest hard to find a friend record. So totally. I'm a big fan, and I totally could hear his you know his influence in your music. So I, uh, right. I wanted to ask you about that. But um, going back to um, the death of your mother, which obviously has a big imprint on this record, I read that you took a very long journey, a 600 mile walk, um, all the way to San Francisco from south from Southern California, I guess. And um, yeah. why did you decide, why did you choose that to do that? And, and, and what was that like? Yeah, man. I mean, so basically like, uh, I just knew that if I didn't do something ridiculous, um, my, my mom was a big part of the way that I looked at the world and she was a huge, um, you know, at that point I was already touring a lot, like a lot of solo tours and stuff like that. And I didn't have very many things in my life that were constant. Um, there were really, I had no routines. Like every day I was in a new city. I didn't really have a lot of, a lot of things that most people I think would stand on. Right. Right. And so, so after she passed away, I felt like I just kind of had, um, I was in some ways I was left with like very little that I really knew. And I knew that if I was to not do something ridiculous, then I would just dive right back into like the next thing. I would just like do the next thing and then I would do the next thing and then I would do the next thing and I would never stop and like take a bird's eye view at my life and like what had been lost and what it meant to me. Yeah. Um, and so I just, it was pretty much on a whim. I just like one day I packed up my backpack. I didn't train for it or anything. I just like put a tent and like an old film camera and like some, like a sleeping bag and like five water bottles. That was like pretty much it in a, <laughs> in a backpack. And I just like walked out the front door of my house, which is in San Diego. And then I just like started walking North on the highway. And then every day I would, I would stop and camp just in somebody's haystack or like, and how know, long did that take you to get to what, like, or did you have a, a purpose of where you were trying to go? I wanted to get or, to the Golden Gate Bridge that in San okay. Francisco. Um, and I don't know why I even picked that spot. Like it's kind of an arbitrary landmark, but it's just the spot that I picked. So yeah, that's, um, that's crazy. No, I, I understand that. I think that's something that, that is relatable. I mean, like to me, when I was uh, 25, I lost my cousin and, you know, right. in a, it's so Canadian, but in a, a snowmobiling accident. Yeah. And, um, 
it's true. Like I, I left tour and I went to the funeral because I felt like I had to do that. You know, like I had to do right. something. I couldn't just go and play another show. So I had to leave and I had to go home and see my family and everything. Yeah. But literally like I was there for two days and after, you know, you know, you know, like it's, he's, he was 25 years old, you know, and it yeah. was sudden an accident. It was horrible. And then I found, I just, I went back to, to where exactly where I was, you know, resuming the next tour spot. And I never dealt with that. You know, I went on, like you said, I went on to the next thing. Right. And, um, I think I really probably needed something like that. I mean, maybe not quite as ridiculous as yours. Yeah. Um, but in a way, I mean, obviously losing your mother is, is just horrible, but I think I needed that too. So that I think I really, I totally understand it. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can understand that it doesn't make sense, but it does, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the thing, one thing that I realized was like during this moment in particular and during really all of the moments, the big moments in my life, um, I always had this expectation that like things would be, things would change, right? Like, you know, you watch a movie and like the lead, the main character dies in the movie or, yeah. you know, a, a major character dies and the, everything changes. The music changes, the way that it's shot changes, the, the movie, even like the movie will end or whatever, like something happens that makes it feel like everything has changed in the universe. But when it, but when it hits you, like when something major hits you, the, I think the first thing that you or at least that I noticed was that nothing changes. It's like, like this, this person is there and then the next day they're not there or this relationship is there and the next day it's not there and nothing has changed. And I think that like in order to really be able to break your life up into chapters or into sections that make sense later, you have to like find a way to bookmark it in your mind that something changed. And the only way that I knew how to do that was something that was so major was to just basically like, yeah, not do the same thing, which for me would have been like doing another show. Right. Wow. Wow. That is, that is, uh, that is, wow. You're teaching me some life lessons here. Tyson. <laughs> I like that. No, that is great. Uh, but I do want to get back a little bit to the music before I let you yeah. go too. Um, sure. you got a lot of, I mean, you got the record coming out pretty much right, right away. Uh, are you going out on the road? What are your, what are your plans for that? Yeah. So I've got, um, I think we got just a, f- like 15 or 16 west coast states uh west coast u.s we're playing victoria and vancouver okay cool um, oh, beautiful i love victoria oh man it's yeah it's awesome actually i made my record in, in victoria oh wonderful yeah so um but uh yeah so it'll be like it starts in orange county and then we'll play arizona and then up the coast and you say Washington. and you say we you tour with because you know the, the band is just your name but do you tour with um yeah a few people so, this one is just as we're, I'm doing it as a duo. So it's me and a guy playing cello. So I, I just kind of like wanted to bring it down to a pretty, uh, just kind of a pretty intimate show. You know, like we're playing kind of a lot of seated shows and, um, I, it'll be pretty conversational. And with the people that have kind of been with me up until this point, I, it's going to be kind of a cool moment for all of us. I think so. Absolutely. And yeah. I know you did some touring with, um, John Foreman of Switchfoot and yeah, obviously and actually, go, yeah, go the ahead. guy that, the guy that's playing cello with me is the guy that plays cello for John. So that was, I stole him. Ah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, how many cello players? Like I, I literally know one. Yeah. One Especially person that plays cello. cello yeah. So like really real cello players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a hard instrument, man. Like, come on. It's like a real instrument. Like, you know, you and I play guitar and it's like, okay, you can, guitar is just anybody can play the guitar. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I, I remember one time we, we had a violin player play on like our first, well, kind of all our early stuff has violin all through it. Yeah, and, I was, yeah. and we didn't want to like add a violin player. So I was like, how hard can it be? I already play guitar. So I went and, right. and 
bought a violin? And the answer is, it's impossible. It's impossible, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why you have to learn when you're like two or something. Right. Yeah. But anyways, uh, yeah, so, so how, was, um, how was touring with John? Did he kind of show was, you the ropes? He really did, man. He's, um, he's become a really dear friend to me, man. He's just, he is a... You know, in all of the things that if, 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 you know, if you know his brand or whatever, it's just that he's a very, he's just a very like bright eyed, sweet guy. And in everything that he seems to be, he is that to the nth degree. And so, I mean, he was every night he would come up on stage and like tell the crowd that it was important that they listened to me. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was like talking to the guys at Bad Christian and they were like, yeah, I think like the first opening, like the first support tours we did. We were just like trying to not get beer bottles thrown at us by the headliner. So, <laughs> oh yeah, no, you're just try- hope. Yeah. Hopefully, all the people in line are are like in the venue by the time you have to start playing. Totally, there's nothing worse so. than like, uh, okay, it's time to go on. You're like, but there's the doors aren't even open yet. There's like five kids yeah. in here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So, so this is completely the opposite of that. Oh my gosh! And it was just him and I, and I actually traveled with him in the van. It was just like this big family experience, and I was like, I got so 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 spoiled. I, oh, I don't yeah. think I'm ever going to get anything like that again. So, oh, that's fantastic, man! Wow. Yeah. So you got the record coming out. You got the tour. Uh, are you going to head out to the rest of the country um, pretty soon? Do you have plans for that? Yeah, I'm doing a few. Like I'm going out to uh, Missouri, and I'm doing a couple things in the deep south, like kind of just flying out for a few dates, but. I've never really toured out there, so I, I kind of just need to do it, you know? So yeah, I just need you to, do, like, man. just need to do it. I mean, yeah. you know, like, out on, the, like, New York and, and Philadelphia, like, those are, for I mean, for my band, those are, like, the best, you know, places. So totally. I think they need your music. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, and that's, like, I think I see people that are there, like, asking me to come, so I just need to pull the trigger at some point. Absolutely, man. No, I I, uh, I think you got a lot of great stuff uh, in your future, and it's really nice to talk to you. I'm really glad you could uh, jump on the phone with me and we could talk about the new record. But yes, this is Tyson Motzenbacher, and uh, we always play music on my podcast. I always want people to hear the music of the people I'm talking to. I think it's important. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to play one of your jams right now. Uh, do you have a, a preference of which song you'd like me to play? Why don't you just pick your favorite, man? You know what? I'm going to play the first track because we talked cool. about it so people yeah, can, can hear the references. But uh, but everybody should check out the the record. There's some more there's some more upbeat stuff, too. And, and uh, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think the record's like f- pretty much flawless from start to finish. So so thanks a lot for putting it out and uh, and all the best, man. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It's great talking to you. And it's called In Your Name, right? The first song? That's right. All right. Well, here it is. In Your Name on Lead Singer Syndrome. Cross-legged on the south porch With a Bible in your hand When I pray for healing My Father's words ring through the door 
Son, I don't think Jesus is in business of healing anymore. Maybe he is occupied with other people's wars or his organized militia to fight the war on Christmas or Maybe he's protecting our children from the gays Who have promised to destroy this utopia we've made In his name In his name In your name 